You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. I want to head back to Romans chapter 4 this week and verse 13 in particular if you want to look uh, there. We're going to look at it in a bit. I've got a couple pictures to catch up on. So from two weeks ago, we've got Sonia. I believe this is from Sonia. Uh, is that right? Yeah, okay, I didn't have a name, but I was pretty sure I recognized the pictures by now. But here was, we were looking in verses, I think it was 1 through 8, was Abraham justified? Was it works? No, it was by faith. That's what we were looking at uh, two weeks ago, it was. And then last week, I only had one picture turned in. I don't know if Al Torgerson is here. Al, Al turned in a picture last week. You can go to that one. This is last week's picture. Uh, this is Harrison. And that was afterwards at the lake. Some of you were thankfully part of helping us <laughs> with him. And I got his permission to share, to show this. But uh, Harrison's doing well. Uh, really pretty minor injuries considering. But thank you all for who helped out with that. But Al sent that. So I got to, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And he's playing drums today. So it's great. So praise the Lord for that. We do praise the Lord. But we were in uh, verses 9 through 13 last week looking at circumcision and Abraham's faith. Well, this week we're in verse 13 as we continue through chapter 4. I am going to read to the end of the chapter. It's kind of one chunk, but we're going we're gonna to separate it in 17 today. So we'll, get, we'll take two weeks to get through here. But um, let's just start at verse 13 listen to God's word. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the, inherit, the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Let's pray once again. Lord, I just pray again as we come into your word father help the speaker and the hearer today for we need you the supernatural work is before us 
made possible by your gracious spirit to understand the things of you. Lord, I'm thankful for Peter's words that things of Paul are are hard to understand. There's some effort. Lord, would you by your spirit bring the clarity needed, especially for this passage, this text, and may you apply it to each heart that is here, not by accident, not by luck that they are here. Providentially, each one of us is here today. And so help us to listen for what you would have for our own families, our own lives, our own hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In Congress, July 4th, 1776, the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. And so begins that part of the Declaration of Independence, already referred to as Independence Weekend here. It's that, that separation, that document from England, a document apart from the rule of the British over these 13 colonies of the United States of America. How do we connect that to Romans 4? In, in a, if you can see it here, in Romans 4, we're in the middle of what I think you could say is Paul's declaration of independence, not, not independent from God, but an independence of, uh, on works, of a dependence on works for salvation, on circumcision today, on the law. And so declaring an independence to look towards the righteousness of God apart from those things. You know, not, a, not an independence from God, but just a separation from that depending on self. We're going to see it where we depend on faith. It depends on faith, as verse 16 is going to show. As we come into this latter section here of, of chapter 4, verses really 13 through 25, we're zeroing in on this, this promise of God to Abraham. We've looked at it for the last couple weeks here, and then we're looking at the idea of Abraham's offspring and inheritance and, and really, how did this promise, how is this promise guaranteed? Broadly speaking, how is this promise guaranteed? And, and really, we could say, because Scripture says, it rests on grace. Grace through faith. So we're going to just go through verse 17 today. The next week, look at the rest of it. 17 is kind of, if you think of it on that hill, 17 seems like that crest of the hill. Get to 17, kind of building there, and then we're kind of looking back towards that, towards the end of the chapter here. So we're, we're heading up the hill to verse 17, and then we'll head back down maybe, in, so to speak, next week. Let's come back to our text, though, and just take it line by line here as we look through the Scripture, in particular verse 13. Paul begins four. There's actually a lot of these fours. Reason, because, since. So verse 13, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. And right away, we're in the territory of words like promise. I don't think that's come up yet in this particular chapter. And we've got heir of the world, H-E-I-R, heir of the world. So just, just what promise, what, what is this promise to Abraham? What's Paul referring to? He's reaching back into Genesis, and I think we looked at that either last week or the week prior, Genesis 15 in particular, but we think of, in general, there's a multitude of places of these promises of God to Abraham, and they generally deal with offspring and land, but I think the overarching, the overarching theme is blessing. There's a blessing of Abraham on his life through God, through 
faith will find. Genesis 12, 3, God says to Abraham, In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So through Abraham, there's this blessing. Uh, in chapter 12, verse 7, God promises the land of Canaan. He says, To your offspring I will give this land. So you've got families, offspring, land. Genesis 14, he's blessed by Melchizedek, this uh, king of Zadak, king of righteousness, king of Salem, who says this. He says, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed by God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Then we get into Genesis 15, the passage really Paul is kind of covering in this, in this bigger section. And God's promises to Abraham to be a shield. Remember, I'll be your shield. I'll be your, your, your reward will be great. And you'll have star type, star numerous offspring. And it's here that we found Abraham believes this promise, this offspring looking towards Christ. And it's counted to him as righteousness. But just right on the heels of that, there's another promise. There's a promise of coming affliction. It's talking about their time in Egypt. And then this possession of the land of Canaan. And it's confirmed. There's this flaming pot and the, the animals are, Abraham cuts them, splits them, and then Abraham's in the dream or sleep and, and the flaming pot comes through, through this. This God is making a covenant. He's cutting a covenant with Abraham made by God himself. And so we kind of get this idea of God's promises throughout in this Genesis. We'll go there in a little while here to look at it. There's this idea of land and offspring but again, at the heart of it, I think, is this blessing of God upon Abraham. But in Romans here, we've got, in verse 13, we've got this promise to Abraham and to his offspring. And we've got these words, heir of the world. How do we understand this? Let's try to get some help. Maybe this will be helpful towards an understanding. What does this mean, heir of the world? One writer, David Halwerda, he says this, he comments on verse 13, he says, so I'm going to let him speak to this. He says, for Paul, the promise to Abraham had a cosmic sweep. See where he's getting that from? The air of the world, this cosmic sweep. It says, including not just the territory of Canaan, but the entire inhabited world. The promise that the land will be inherited has become the promise that the kingdom of God, which embraces all nations, the entire creation, and even the cosmos itself, will be inherited. I think where this is helpful to us in thinking of land, offspring, promise, and this, it shows the broader aim of the promise and blessing to Abraham. It's not limited merely. We see it in the Old Testament, limited. It seems like physical descendants of Abraham, physical land like Canaan. But the New Testament, in particular, verse 13 even, you can make the point, there's a cosmic sweep going on. There's a world theme going on. And the idea here, and we're going to see in verses 16 and 17, Abraham is a father to a multitude of nations or many nations. There's this broader kingdom of God. It's a multitude of ethnicities. They're blessed along with Abraham. Why? Not because of physical circumcision, not any of that. Why? Because of faith. Because they, like Abraham, they put their faith in Christ. And then Paul in Galatians, he's going to say, well, the offspring, who is the true offspring of Abraham? It is Jesus himself. That's that, that cosmic sweep. So you've got, you've got Old Testament types, shadows, reality unfolding uh, as we see it take place here. 
The question then, though, for Paul in this verse, last part of verse 13, is does this promise of blessing, does this inheritance then, you can almost, you're ready for his answer here by this point, you know, does it come through the law or through the righteousness of faith? And he makes it clear here, not. It doesn't come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith, through faith. So Doug Moo, the commentator, makes the point here. Paul, what is he contrasting? He's contrasting the standard Jewish view that it was Abraham's fidelity to the law that secured God's blessing. What secures the blessing? Adhering to the law, righteousness through faith. That's kind of the options, Paul says, it's of faith. Let's go on because he continues to whittle away, whittle away at this idea of the law as he goes into verse 14 then. So 13 kind of sets it up. Is it law? Is it faith? Now Paul kind of, let's think about the law for a little bit, and then we're going to come back to verses 16 and 17 on faith, and then really the rest of the, of the chapter. Look at verse 14. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. If, if the receiving of this promise, if this inheritance of Abraham and to his offspring, if it's dependent on adhering to the law, this, this work of man, then certain other things now, faith is null. The promise is voided out. It's the temptation of all of us to think we can earn our way, to make a way for us for this blessing, to say, I've done it. Or to say in our pride, I've earned this righteousness. I've had this good of a week. God ought to look with favor on me because of my, look at how my week went. Or maybe you were today in the opposite. Look at how my week went. Why, should, why can I even sing to him today? There's a temptation to look at us, to, to look at somehow that we can merit or earn this righteousness somehow independent of God. So hard work, discipline is good. The, the passage uh, Milt read from today, it'll go on to say to, uh, that God disciplines us. And without holiness, it's impossible to see the Lord. So these things are important, but they have no value in sense of becoming heirs and inheritance in line with Abraham. That's through faith, faith leading to righteousness. So adherence to the law as a means of righteousness it's actually a faith nullifying. It's a promise voiding state. His righteousness and so ours as heirs does not come through the law. If it does, Paul says, then, then faith is pointless. The promise is pointless. These are strong words. This isn't just, you know, well, it's kind of, it's, it's, faith is pointless. The promise is void if it's sought through the law, through merit, we could say. Let's look at verse 15. Maybe a little more challenging here, parts of it. Verse 15, for the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. Now, the idea of wrath for us, if you've gone, been going through Romans, it's nothing new. We've already seen this. Chapters, I think it's in, in every chapter, one through, through three even, um, I believe three, but even, even if not in three, it, verses 19 through 20, they show something. And we, we see there that when the law speaks, everyone is held accountable. 
And so if you're accountable, you're deserving of wrath. And then through this law comes this knowledge of sin. So rather than the law freeing someone from the burden of sin, oh, I'll just follow the law. I'll be free from that burden. It actually just reveals the sin to us. And further than that, Paul's going to say, as we're going to see in chapter 7, he's going to say our sinful uh, passions were aroused by the law. We've got sinful passion. The law just kind of brings it, it arouses it, it brings it up. And so this knowledge of the law actually causes our sinward's hearts to press against the boundaries of the law, break them, and so we transgress, that we cross the line. We transgress God. Here's the law. Cross the line, transgress what God has said, and so incur his wrath. But Paul says here at the last part of verse 15, where there is no law, there is no transgression. I'll just say this, maybe it's, easier for some, harder for me, challenging to understand. I think we can simplify it once we think about boundaries and this sin nature, even what Paul talks about, this sinful passions being aroused by the law, that this nature presses in and so we cross the line. Adam and Eve, here's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat from it, they transgress and eat you have small kids or you don't or you watch small kids and you say do not touch that what what's just just the urge there as soon as you say don't touch if if i said even adults we face if i said this is i always go back to this you think of something i'll I'll give you something to not think about so don't think about it so i'll say banana today do not think about yellow bananas and they just come and you're just going to think about bananas and they just, it comes to us when we hear that, do not. It's the law. It's just being aroused uh, in us through that. We see it, and it brings wrath. So the law, rather than bringing blessing, it actually incurs wrath. So adhering to it as a means to the promise, then, it's futile. So that, that's the law part. That's verses 14 and 15. Does this, does this inheritance, does this promise come through the law, 14 and 15? No. 16, though, that's the negative. 16 now, the positive. How does it come? Look at verse uh, 16. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham. You've got words in here now of faith and promise and grace, guarantee. So faith then, not as something meriting or a meritorious work, It removes the promise from the realm of merit and places it where? It places the promise in the sphere of grace. We just sang about this morning. Grace doesn't just open the way for faith. It's the means by which faith grabs hold of the promises of God. It's God's grace that gives light to the darkened, hard, hardened sinner. We call that being born again. That new light comes. And that sinner who sees a sin grabs hold and looks to God for salvation and responds thus in that looking, that faith that is looking. 
So these are great words here, that this promise may rest on grace. You should just enjoy that one phrase. You promise eternal life, life with the Lord, the blessing of Abraham. Does that rest on your week? It rests on grace. It's the blessing of God. Really this hope, this hope of restored eternal relationship with Him. It's not meritorious. It's not works. It's not law. It's resting in what God has done. And then we're just going to just keep connecting this line through the offspring of Abraham to Jesus. This greater offspring, the offspring Paul's going to talk about. Well, twice in verse 16, to look at some other things in here. Twice you see the word all. It's guaranteed to all his offspring. And then at the end of the verse, you've got the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. And so Leon Morris, he points out the significance of this word, that it is, quote, the idea here is there is, there is quote, no distinction. No distinction. That, who's this guaranteed for? Just the physical descendants of Abraham? The adherents of the law? I think he's, he's aiming here at those of the law, those of, of Jewish background, ethnicity? No. It's either. It's Jew or Gentile. Both. It, the adherence of the law here, and I, we might get stuck here, and, and, and what, well, now wait a second. Paul's, he's talking about, wait, there's a promise to the adherent of the law. I just, I just thought he said that was not good. And then he says no to the, and to the, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham. I think here he's, he's distinguishing people groups. Um, we've just seen Paul here, as he's looked through, we saw verses 14 and 15. He's just, just killed, you know, stamped down. No, it's not through the law. So I don't think in another verse Paul's kind of schizophrenic and going, well, it's not through the law. Well, it kind of is, but it's not. I think he's looking back, these, those are the law, it's the the Greek literally is those of the law or to the, the one of the law or to those of the law, something like that. Is it those of the law? No, it's those who share in the faith of Abraham. And that could be those of Jewish descent, Gentile, whatever, wherever, geographically, whatever people group. All right. Well, we've seen Father Abraham here. We saw him in uh, verses 9 through 12, really through this, this whole section, this fatherhood of Abraham, as we've seen. He's the father of all who believe. And so in a way, I think this last phrase of Abraham, the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, it's kind of just reiterating just really the last part of what we looked at last week, 11 and 12. He's the father of all who believe. And then we get to verse 17 here, and Paul again, grounds Abraham as father in the words of the Old Testament. Just look at the first part of verse 17 where it says, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. Again, you get this phrase, as it is written. By my count, this is the seventh time in this letter to Romans that Paul has directly quoted from the Old Testament. I'm positive there's allusions to the Old Testament in other places. And actually, chapter 3, uh, those familiar verses 10 through 18, were a, a plethora, a whole bunch of places in the Old Testament. So what does this say? Just again, we, looked, we thought about this last week in terms of Scripture, but you get the impression from Paul that what he's speaking about, this faith and this promise and this guarantee and this grace, 
This is not Paul coming up with some new way of salvation. He's actually proving his point time and again by looking back to the Old Testament. So again, to to disconnect from it would not be in line with what Paul does all over the place. He's going back and he's seeing this, this thread of grace through the Old Testament. Fulfilled in Christ, seeing the reality in Christ, but seeing that, that thread. And so it points to it. And so why don't we go back? Let's look at the as it is written part just briefly here. Uh, Genesis chapter 17. So head back to the book of Genesis, very first book. Genesis chapter 17 is where we're going to find this and just want to read it in the context to you where Paul is grabbing this from. Now, just context-wise, we are kind of a, we're a ways after Abraham's being counted righteous by faith. That was ta- chapter 15. We're now in 17. He's 99 years old. And so let's read. I'm just going to start in verse 1, and I'll read through verse 8. And then after that, actually, Paul's going to deal with circumcision physically, but uh, we'll just read through verse 8 here. So it says this, When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram, said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations." I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God has burned into the name of Abraham, just the very name, this promise of descendants. So Abram, as the ESV points out, Abram means exalted father. Abraham is father of a multitude. And so already, Genesis 17, we've got this idea of a multitude of nations. Not only the Jewish people alone, the physical descendants, but Jew and Gentile, nations. That's not just a Pauline New Testament idea. Here it comes back all the way to the first book of the Bible. But what is at the heart of this fatherhood of Abraham? Is, is Is it only the offspring in the land? Look at verse 8 again. There's an everlasting God, a covenant of God to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Uh, And then verse 8 kind of has a similar, at the end of verse 8, I will be their God. Derek Kidner comments here in this portion of Genesis. He says, spiritually, the essence of the covenant is personal. It's like the, the I will of a marriage. So the pledge, I will be their God, 
far outweighs the particular benefits. This, he notes, is the covenant. So there's the benefit. There's the land. There's the offspring. Of course, fulfilled in Christ. The reality, this reality, is the blessing of God. That's what's at the heart here. This cosmic reality of this God being their God. The relationship restored through the offspring to a cosmic reality. As I head back to Romans 4, one more uh, part as we look at uh, just the last part of Romans 4. So, head back, I've got to find it myself. There we are. We read half the verse. Who is this? Who, who is the faith of Abraham in? Just who did he believe? It says, as it is written again to start at the beginning, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. The God in whom Abraham believed and in whom the promise rests is the God who gives life to to the dead, and who calls here into existence things that do not exist, things that are not. And I think these truths, that's, we're kind of at that crest of the hill, these truths are going to flow out as we look further. Uh, even in verse, verse 19, Abraham's body there, if you kind of gaze forward or, or look forward, it's called as good as dead. So even Abraham, in the nearest fulfillment, his body is as good as dead. And he brought life to that, and Sarah's womb is as good as dead, it's barren. So God does this, and out of this, God will bring life to the dead and call into existence like he has done in creation, so he will do things that don't yet exist. And Abraham looks to this promise and believes. But is this God whom Abraham believed, is he only for Abraham? And we would say, no, from the beginning of verse 17, I have made you the father of many nations. He's the father of all who believe in this life-giving, calling into existence, God. He's for all the offspring of Abraham who are heirs. Are they heirs by the law or heirs of physical descent or dependence on the law? They're heirs via faith. Again, faith in who? I always want to think about that. Just faith, just so I got faith. Faith in who? Faith in the one who, you can look it up later, Galatians 3, I think it's 17 and 18, speaks of this, and actually quoting, I think it's from Genesis 22, but the idea of offspring is, is throughout Abraham's account. This offspring, as I've already mentioned, the true offspring of Abraham, Jesus Christ. That's our inheritance through him. It's only ever through gracious faith in that holy offspring, in Jesus, who did what? He bore that wrath we deserve, that the law points out our wrath, Jesus bore it, and he fulfilled it perfectly, all the way. And so he is our hope, and so he is the one whom sinners can call on to save completely. Before us today, it's not maybe a new question even for this section or this book, but just to hammer again and to think about in your own life and be wary of places, will we depend upon our works to receive these promises of God or depend on God alone? called faith. 
May we declare, in a sense, our independence from the law in this way, that it's not a means of our salvation. Works of the law can never make one righteous. That's Paul's big point, and it points out our need. Our need that we're going to celebrate of this one, this true offspring, Jesus Christ. If you be in Christ, and that blessing, how am I blessed forever? How does that come to me? Faith in the offspring of Abraham. Faith in Jesus Christ. Everlasting blessedness with God. So there's, there's this land and there's, we think of inheritance and crowns and that. The goal, as Piper would say in his book, God is the gospel. The goal is God himself. He's our goal, Christ, to be our treasure. Let's pray. Father, would you just imprint on our hearts the truths that we've studied just today in this short section? I, we see here, Lord, things that might be, even as we struggle to understand the Jewish mindset, hard, harder to understand. But Lord, you've made clear that the promise rests on grace through faith. This is how it rested for Abraham. This is how it rests for us, offspring of Abraham, through faith in Christ, whom Abraham rejoiced to see his day and was glad in it. May we too rejoice to see your day. We have seen it, Lord, in the scriptures of the New Testament. Jesus has come in the fullness of time. and May we treasure him in our lives. Lord, may we give you glory that we would not trust in our works and in what we do to gain us a righteousness. We do them out of love. We do them because you've transformed our heart. You've transformed us to love you and want to obey you. But may it never be the grounds of our salvation. May it be Christ alone. pray this in your name. Amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.